Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hi, this is Pastor Jeremy from Canton Church. This past Sunday was Communicator Sunday. This is a day that we intentionally set aside to hear from people within our congregation. Some of these individuals are life group leaders or ministry leaders who exercise their gift of preaching or teaching God's Word in some area of our church and ministry. After they were selected, they prayed, studied, and received feedback about whatever they were going to present. They could choose to present something out of their own personal God story or perhaps a topic from Scripture that they believed would be beneficial to our congregation. In each service, we heard from five of these individuals. At 9.30, we heard from Andy Smith, John Woolridge, Katie Tiller, Jennifer Poole, and Mary Beth Popham. At 11 a.m., we heard from Britton Sparks, Caleb Osborne, Anna McCook, David Heineman, and Daniel Stewart. In introducing each of these individuals before our congregation, I encouraged them that this was not a novelty act or some type of circus show. This was the presentation of the gospel to our congregation. And my hope today as you listen is that you will be encouraged and challenged by their words. God bless. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the pity clap. I appreciate that. It's great to lead off Communicator Sunday today, Volume 2.0. I am Andy Smith, and and my wife, Brittany, and I. Brittany spoke at Communicator Sunday, Volume 1, back in uh, Memorial Day, I believe. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. We've been, we've been coming to Canyon Church for about five years now, and I want to just jump right into what I want to talk about today, because Jeremy will tackle me if I go too long, and everyone's already told me, Andy, don't go too long. So, uh, one of the reasons why my wife and I have become part of Canton Church's family and, and, and worship here today is because of the church culture that I'm sure everyone in this room has already experienced. And before I get into what that means exactly, I want to just flash back to five years ago. I think the church has been around for seven years now, Jeremy, something like that. Um, five years ago, we did not have this awesome space, but we've already expanded once. Uh, we might have to expand it again by look of the room. Um, five years ago, we met at Sequoia High School. Uh, we were known as Mount Perrin North Church of God, Canton Campus Incorporated, 90501C3, longest name in America. Um, come on, that was a lot funnier than you gave it credit for. Uh, <coughs> And, and every Sunday, the army of volunteers we'd have would come about four or five hours before church actually started to create an atmosphere at Sequoia High School to make it seem like a church and not like a school because we want you to come here to praise God and not do algebra, right? So everyone, that was also funny and no one laughed. Um, so uh, so uh, Trevor can tell you stories about having to be at Sequoia High School before dawn 20-degree weather, unloading a creepy van full of pipe and drape. And if you don't know what pipe and drape is, I'm not going to get into that too much. If you know what pipe and drape is, say amen. Thank you. Find someone who said amen, and they'll tell you what pipe and drape was. But the point of what I'm telling you today is, is that we have this culture of service in Canton Church. That we had an army of folks willing to get up five hours before church in, in the dark and with 20-degree weather um, to create a church atmosphere and so we, can, so we can have church and then forego being first in line at Cracker Barrel to tear everything down so that the kids on Monday can learn algebra, right? And I will go so far as to say that everyone in this room today, maybe even today, um, has experienced an act of service that someone associated with Canton Church 
uh, has done to you. Um, that's the reason why Brittany and I are part of this church, because we just love the culture of service. Whether it's the parking team outside, whether it's an usher, um, whether it's someone helping you have a seat, um, someone had, had done some sort of act of service to you because it's part of our church culture. All right, now, Christ himself is often attributed as being the individual who is the epitome of service, right? Christ, there's plenty of examples in the Bible where, where Christ debated with uh, religious leaders, right, and won, right? And, 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 and don't get me wrong, there's still, there's still room for that today. A lot of it happens on Facebook, I know. I mean, I don't th- you know, look to your neighbor. Again, funny, no one laughed, all right? No one likes debating on Facebook. That was the point, all right? But Christ, the majority of his ministries, three years on earth um, as in his ministry, uh, focused on service, right? He felt like, you know, the best way to draw those to me, to Christ, was to serve others. That's why he hung out with, with the, uh, the abandoned. We, so he, he hung out with the lepers, the, one, the people that, that no one wanted to be around. He said, you know what, I want to serve those guys, and they'll, be, they'll draw closer to me. Now, if you're an 80s, 90s kid like me, you probably had a band that said WWJD. All right, and it said, what would Jesus do? And, and, and the idea w- w- with that band was everything we do, uh, we want to do as, as if Christ did so. Right? What would Christ do in the situation? Because cr- everything we do, we want to preach the gospel. It reminds me of a, of a, of a, of a uh, quote that I, that's often misattributed to the St. Francis of Assisi. And it's right up on the screen here. It's called, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. What does that quote mean? It means that, hey, you don't have to actually like shove the gospel down someone's throat. Sometimes your act of service, just like Christ, Christ is, draws him, draws that person to Christ in the same way Christ served others. But the idea of service actually predates Christ, predates him by centuries, all right? And uh, as God's people, we're all called to serve. And I want to tell you a story quickly about, uh, about David. In and, and 1 Samuel 17, 17, I'm going to read this real quick. Um, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Verse 18 says, uh, verse 18 coming up. No, but I will read it from my notes. No big deal. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain and see how your brothers are getting along and bring it back a report on how they're doing. David was asked by Jesse to serve three different people there, or three sets of people, his brothers, his brother's captain, and um, his father himself. Now, if you're anything like me in reading scripture, I have to re- reword scripture so I can understand it in my language. So I'm going to reword this scripture real quick. All right, it's, it's just like this. It goes, Corey told Cooper, bring this box of Highway 92 taco truck tacos to Pastor Matt and Pastor Trevor. And don't forget the cheese dip for your daddy, Captain Pastor Jeremy Isaacs. That was a lot funnier. And then again, no, this is a tough crowd, Pastor Jeremy. Tough crowd. <clears throat> Anyways, David was asked to do a small act of service in bringing lunch to his brothers and to their captain. Now, here's the thing about service. It's never so small, right? Because God rewards our service in ways that you cannot expect, right? And right up on the screen. There you go. You, you see... If you scroll up in Scripture just a little bit, David was actually tending his sheep. Now, David was a shepherd. And, I'm, and the Scripture is silent as to David's attitude when asked by his father to, hey, bring these tacos to your brothers, right? But I'd like to think David didn't complain. 
I like to think that David did so with, with a willing heart because service isn't about the individual himself. It's not about you. It's about the person you're serving. Tell someone else not about yourself. God rewards your service in ways you don't expect. And here's, and here's how. Here was the start of how God rewarded that service, right? The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him, being Goliath, right? He will offer that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Y'all didn't know that the bachelor started with David, all right? All right? The final rose right? All you had to do was kill Goliath, right? <laughs> Everybody else can be probably died, but that being said, you know, God, David didn't go bring lunch that day expecting to marry one of Saul's daughters. He certainly didn't go that day expecting to never have to pay taxes ever again. Isn't that awesome, guys? Come on, amen for that. <laughs> but God God rewards you in ways you just don't imagine, all right? Of course, we all know the story of what happens with David. David gets five stones and, his, and, 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 and a sling and, and, and defeats Goliath. But the most important thing about the act of service is God honors your service, okay? God wanted David to serve. He used the act of bringing lunch as a springboard to something completely different, which was to become the king of Israel, right? I want to sum everything up with this. Everyone in this room is called to serve. It's part of our church culture, right? Go to Canton Life. Be a youth leader. Shout out, Trevor. Amen. Come on, brother. And service comes in all kinds of shapes and forms. It could be like Billy Graham speaking to thousands upon thousands. It could be someone on our parking team. It could be the guy bringing lunch. It could be five loaves and two fishes. But your small act of service is big act. It's a big act for the kingdom of God, right? You might be the guy bringing lunch, but God probably has bigger, God does have bigger plans for you. The guy bringing lunch will be the king of Israel. The guy bringing lunch feeds 5,000. Thanks so much. Good morning. Uh, my name is John, and I'm very excited to be able to speak with you today. I'm going to be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, but before I begin, uh, I want to give a little backstory on why this is such an important topic for me. So at a younger age, I used to love reading. Uh, I could read for hours just for fun. Uh, but one book I never did read that often was the Bible. And looking back, it's something I regret now. Um, but I did have a friend. His name is James. And uh, he did read and study starting at a young age. And uh, as we both grew older, um, he introduced me to a lot of theological ideas. And, but at the time, that's just what they were. They are just ideas. Uh, but now, and as I grew older again, uh, as I uh, started reading and studying scripture more, uh, I realized that those ideas were actually spiritual truths. And so today I get my theology. I get what I believe from the, the Bible. So I have, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 16. Uh, and it reads, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does this mean exactly? Well, it starts off saying how all scripture is breathed out by God. Some versions might say inspired by God. Uh, the original Greek word uh, is theopneustos. Now, I don't know how to, uh, I don't understand Greek, but there are tools out there. Um, there are tools out there that do help us study uh, scripture. Um, and I, I found the original word by using one of those tools, which is biblehub.com. Um, so, theopneustos translates to God breathed. Uh, also, um, all scripture is God breathed, which means scripture is the written word of God. Um, yeah, it was written by men physically uh, and penned by men, but uh, those men were written from God through the Holy uh, Spirit. And we see this in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 20, when it reads, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So while scripture was written by men physically, it doesn't make it any less uh, the written word of God. Um, going back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, scripture is profitable for teaching. I believe every time a pastor, preacher, or teacher gets up to uh, teach something spiritual, they should have scripture to back it up. But not only uh, verbal teachings, but also written ones as well. Uh, take Christian living books, for example. These are a great resource uh, to use in your life. However, two things must remain true. First, Scripture should back the books up as well, or at least the books should align with what Scripture teaches us. And second, the Bible should be your main go-to uh, book for all spiritual needs. And as long as these two things remain, uh, then Christian books are a great resource. Uh, moving on, Scripture is profitable for rebuking. See, Scripture tells us the truth. It tells us uh, uh, what the true gospel is. Uh, and so knowing this, we're able to discern what is uh, godly and what is not. Um, uh, there are a lot of false gospels out there, people who are trying to deceive us and lead us astray. Uh, and in order to be prepared for that, we have to know what the true gospel is. And we find that in Scripture. Moving on, Scripture is profitable for correcting. Uh, scripture tells us what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, and it defines morality. There are, uh, or society today is trying to change the definition of what morality is. They're saying that uh, homosexuality is uh, okay, or sex before marriage is not wrong, but that's not true. Uh, morality comes from God. God defines what morality is, and we see that in Scripture. And finally, uh, Scripture trains us to be righteous. Uh, scripture gives us instructions on how to live our, our lives and uh, gives structure to our daily life. Uh, it tells us how to interact with people, how to treat people. Uh, scripture says uh, or uh, tells us what we should do or not do and say and not say. It trains us to be righteous. So how does all this apply to you? Well, if we get spiritual truth from Scripture, how are we going to teach or rebuke if we never read it, if we never, or if we get the definition of morality through Scripture, how are we going to correct others uh, if we never read it ourselves? And if Scripture gives us instructions that trains us to be righteous, how are we going to live the lives that God is calling us to live if we never read or study the Bible? 
If there's one thing that you take away from today, I hope it is this, that scripture is sufficient. Scripture shows us where salvation comes from, and it's the written word of God. It's the backbone of teaching and discernment, and it shows us the truth. It trains us to be righteous men and women of God. Scripture is important, scripture is sufficient, and scripture is enough. Thank you. My name is Katie. I'm married to Adam Tiller. He spoke at the last Communicator Sunday. Um, we don't have kids yet. We just are parents to the most precious beagle puppy named Nora. This is her. <laughs> um, I photograph weddings full time. Um, I get to celebrate marriage and experience joy often. And about nine months ago, I really felt the Lord calling me to write on joy. And so I started a newsletter. And it's just been kind of my goal to study and learn about joy and and show people how it can greatly impact and change our lives. Now, I don't have it mastered. I don't always respond in joy when Adam leaves his beard trimmings on the bathroom sink. <laughs> but I'm learning and I'm growing. So today, I'd love to speak to you on joy and how to find it through abiding with Jesus. If you were here over the summer, then um, you heard the series on the fruits of the Spirit. And joy is one of those fruits. Um, now, the definition of joy, it's a state of being, of being content. It is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and it is developed from within. It is not like happiness, which is circumstantial to what's happening around us. And as it says in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I wanted that in every part of my life. So I started studying places in Scripture where joy and abiding were found. Now, the word abiding... Um, we don't really use it in culture. You've probably never said it, but I love it. Um, it means to be with, to live with. So I like to think about the Lord in practical parallels. So imagine whoever you live with, your spouse, your best friend, your roommate, and yet you never speak to them. You know they're there, you see them, and you just don't say anything to them. That would be weird, pretty sad, um, but our relationship with Jesus can kind of be viewed in a similar way. We say we're in relationship with him, but we don't know his heart. We don't know his desires for our life, and we don't spend time communicating with him. How can we expect to experience his joy? So that thought process caused me to kind of reevaluate my relationship with the Lord and how I spent time praying and abiding with him. So I had to shift my prayer life from, you know, having my quiet time in the morning and praying then to praying before a meal or maybe quickly before bed to inviting him to spend every little time and decision with me throughout my day. And as I invited him to do so, this abiding with him, you just start to experience more joy. And the little things don't bother you as much because you're just in constant communication with your heavenly father. So as it says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I get so excited about this. How cool is scripture? By abiding with Jesus, we produce fruit, fruits of the Spirit, and joy is one of those fruits. By spending time with him, we learn more about the heart of Jesus, and by staying in his word and communicating with him. And in turn, we learn more about the will for our lives by knowing his character and what he desires to see us accomplish in our lives. I know for myself, I used to pray things like, Lord, show me your will for your life. I wanted a specific sign or a word of confirmation from someone 
And though the Lord does speak in those ways, and I highly value them, I had to learn for myself how to discern the will of the Lord and find joy in knowing I was leading a life in his will. And through abiding with God and reading stories throughout scripture, I learned more about the character of God, the truth and promises he's spoken over each of our lives. And from that, I've been able to make decisions more easily and in faith, knowing I'm in his will. And it's been so joy giving. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 27, it says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm still a huge work in progress. But as the Bible says, strength and joy are found in his dwelling place. It's my heart's goal to stay there. So on a practical way, I'd like to share three ways that I found work for me to abide with Jesus. And the first is kind of obvious, spending time reading the Bible. As John said, scripture is so valuable and important. And finding truths and promises throughout scripture that the Lord's spoken and writing them down. And the second is speaking those truths audibly over your life. I promise there's so much life and it'll change your whole attitude if you speak life over yourself. The power of, of life is in the, is in the tongue. Um, so speaking things like, you know you found in scripture. I am beautiful. I am chosen. I have a future. Do it for a week and your whole attitude will shift. The little things won't start to bother you as much. And then finally, I created a list um, of letters throughout the alphabet that define who God is to me. So on days where I'm struggling emotionally or something as silly as someone cutting me off, I recite these ABCs. He is able. He calls me beautiful. He is my comforter and delights in me. He is ever-present and faithful in every circumstance. He is gracious and gentle. He is my healer. He is forever immutable. He is my source of joy. His heart is full of kindness. He lavishes his love on me. He meets me where I'm at. He knows all of my needs. He is omnipotent. He is my provision and my peace. He calls me qualified. He rescues and restores me. He is my safe place. His timing is perfect. He understands what I'm going through and vows to never leave me or forsake me. He is worthy of my worship. His grace and his blessings are extravagant. He yearns to be in relationship with me, and his love is zealous. So when I finish those, I'm reminded God is good. He is already one, and victory and joy are ours to be had in this life. So I encourage you today to make a list of your own to create ABCs that define who God is to you, or if that seems like a lot, um, go through scripture and find three truths or promises that speak to you directly and write them down and speak them out loud over your life. At least try it for just one week and see how your joy is shifted by just abiding with Jesus. He wants you to experience fullness of joy and find it through being in relationship with him and knowing his heart. Then you can go forth and live a life of joy no matter what season of life you're walking through. Let his joy become your strength. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jennifer Poole, and it's an honor to share my heart with you today. I've been a member of Canton Church for about four years, and God has blessed me with an amazing husband. I have a 17-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. You may recognize me from my time on the, on the prayer uh, team that meets down here and has the honor and privilege of praying for you each and every Sunday. Or you may recognize me as the wife of one of the best life group leaders around. 
Today, I want to talk to you about God's faithfulness. This life could be tough and sometimes cruel, but God is good. John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Webster's Dictionary defines the word overcome as a means to succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty. I don't know about you, but I've had some difficult times in my life. The divorce of my parents, my own divorce, and multiple miscarriages. Before Christ, I tried to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Basically, that means I was just trying to improve my situation by my own efforts. And this always led to the same place, failure and frustration. As Christians, we too can sometimes be tempted to try it alone. But here's the deal. In Christ, we don't have to try it alone. Jesus is there for us if we will just seek him. He wants to be there for us. He is but a prayer away. Psalm 6620 says, Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. You may have had people in your life that have withheld their love or even rejected you, but that's not how our Lord operates. In Deuteronomy 31.6, the Lord says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. While Googling the definition of the word overcome, I came across a song by Elevation Worship entitled Overcome. Let me read a few words from the song. It's pretty powerful. We will not be moved when the earth gives way, for the risen one has overcome. And for every fear, there's an empty grave, for the risen one has overcome. Jesus paid the price so that we too can overcome any difficulty or problem that we're having in this, in this world. I know he's, he's helped me throughout my life, and he's proven faithful to me through my various trials and tribulations. He's used individuals to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ for me. He's used friends, in particular, Phil and Christy Winter. Um, I'll, I'll never be able to tell them how much I appreciate their friendship through a very difficult time in my life. He's used pastors, family members, Christian counselors, and even complete strangers. When it was close to the day that my divorce was about to be finalized, as you can imagine, I was filled with emotion. I had gone to get my car serviced, and there was a gentleman there that was transporting me back to my car. It was a very large, large dealership, so he was driving me back to my car, and he just said, how, how are you doing today? And I basically was honest and told him how I was feeling. Turns out he was a minister as well as, as working for the dealership. He offered me grace and encouragement. He reminded me that God would never leave me or forsake me. I could go on and on, and I pray that I remember these times when I was in a, in a place of trial that somebody spoke into my life grace and peace and encouraged me. I pray that I can do that too and that God will show me. Um, he'll open my eyes to those folks that are out there that are hurting because there's so many hurting people in this world. I eventually remarried, and God blessed me with a husband that loves me as Christ loves the church. He also blessed me with a baby girl, Molly Poole. She's a, a joy. Um, and basically, you know, God wants to be there for us. He, he wants to, for us to come to him to just, like Katie said, to be a, just have communication with him. Um, that's part of any relationship. And the takeaway from today that I hope that, that, you'll, that you'll hear from all this is that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than any brother, and blessed are those who have him as their friend. I'd like to close in, in prayer today, if I may. 
Jesus, I pray for those today that are facing their own trials and tribulations. Please remind them that you, you are there for them. Comfort them. Give them hope and peace. The peace that only you can give. The peace that passes all understanding. For those of us that are in a good place, we thank you. And we ask that you open our eyes to those around us that need to know you haven't forgotten them. Allow us to speak life and encouragement to those in need. Thank you for being faithful to us and never turning us away. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning for the fifth time. So I'm so excited to be here. I am Mary Beth Popham. Um, often you'll see me buzzing around on Sunday mornings. Um, so I am so excited to be here with you. And I'm a wife, a mom of three, and a second grade teacher. So if I rhyme, it's good. Information station, Trevor's favorite. Um, so I absolutely love serving here at Canton Church with my husband, Matt. He's generally in the back, so you don't see him often. But it's such an honor to be able to serve your children um, I tell you, they bring joy. I oftentimes see the kids before I see you, so, you know, excuse that. But they're precious, and thank you for sharing them with us every week. Um, one thing you may or may not know about me is that I do love meeting people, and I love to talk to them. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, so, so much so that on my first date with Matt, we were out, went to dinner, and we went to get ice cream at what used to be, um, I think it was Marble Slab Creamery. Is that right? Okay. And so we're there eating outside, and there's this woman all alone. And I just felt in my heart, I need to ask her to join us. So I did. And so you can imagine, Matt was kind of trying to impress me, right? And he was like, uh, you know, and he'd look like a total terrible person if he said, no, she can't come eat with us. So I said, hey, do you mind if I just ask her? Well, I think we were both surprised, and his face was quite noteworthy, and so was mine, because the request is crazy on a first date. But we did. We got to meet this wonderful woman. We prayed with her, and that truly set the tone for our relationship. And then there's another picture that's going to, well, thank you. That's so great. Okay, so this picture is famous. I'm famous for this face. Um, this was actually captured by a dear friend of mine in San Diego. We were on a business trip. And um, truly, teachers can go too. And so we were there, and this lady, I don't remember her name, nor do I want the one on our first date, but um, she was sitting with a bunch of gentlemen. Uh, I think they were reserves, you know, army reserves or something. And I just felt impressed to say, hey, come, you know, come and eat with us. So she did. And they thought that I was nuts. The people I was with, they're like, really? I'm like, yes, I feel like she should. And obviously, Look at the joy on our faces. I mean, it was just contagious. Um, and so with that being said, the reason I chose that photo and these stories is because moments like this are super significant to me um, because they remind me to be intentional, intentional to speak life into others, which goes right along. I think it's not by chance at all that we have speakers that have spoken on that today. So that must be something God is reminding us is to speak life into others. Um, and more recently, I've embraced this gift and love for talking with others. And so um, I'm learning to be more cognitive and aware of my words and my actions because I realize the impact they can have. So, um, so much so uh, that words are powerful and they can build up or tear down. And we have to realize that in Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Wow. Right between the eyes, right? Okay. 
powerful. We don't realize. And just like they had said, you can speak life over yourself. You can speak life into other people because you don't realize the power you have. So be cognitive of that. But then sometimes maybe you say, you get to saying something, and you think, why in the world did I just say that? <laughs> or where did that come from? Hmm. I never do that. Gosh. No, I'm teasing. I do it often, so no worries. You're not alone. Okay, you're not alone. Um, I'll just pray for you. No, but really the biggest thing is the problem with those words is that when they're out, they're out. You can't take them back. They've been said. They've been heard. And as many faces, and please, God, bring those back to me. They're not. So that is also why he says, God says in the word, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Man, great words in Ephesians. You know, the good thing is, is when we say those words, we can be forgiven. Unfortunately, though, those words are not always easily or quickly forgotten from the people that hear them. And so sometimes when we're speaking quick in frustration or anger, you know, we have to remember that they're not forgotten. Hello? Think about what you're saying. So it's important for us to get them right, or we need to learn to keep our mouth closed, okay, whenever it's not a good situation. So until we can find the right words to say, you know, it's much easier said than done. But the Bible is so clear in reminding us that not only are our words powerful, but they are actually connected straight to our heart. And so in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Hmm. So I ask, what do your words say about the condition of your heart? Something to ponder. Something I've been thinking about often and reading about in my own time. So to control our mouths and ensure everything we speak is saturated with compassion and encouragement for others, we need to take special notice of the condition of our hearts. Where is it? I know this may sound sometimes difficult, but, you know, especially on those days for me when, when strong coffee is running out, man, patience is thin, and you're like, I really can't do this anymore. You know, you have to remember that your words are powerful. And so we must ask God for help. Because truthfully, I don't think we could do it on our own even if we tried. Even if we tried to do this on our own, it's, it's really hard and probably not possible to do. So that's why each and every day we have to seek God's help. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us on a daily basis, day by day, in conversation by conversation. You know, God is eager to equip us to use our words to bring life, as stated before, and encouragement and strength to others and to ourselves. We just have to ask him. So therefore, we must be intentional, meaning be deliberate in asking God for help, be purposeful in our interactions with other people. Some days are easier than others, and on those hard days, just smile, okay, just smile. And then we must wake up each day and say to ourselves, our mind is made up, 
I'm going to be intentional today because I want to be intentionally used by God. So don't ever, ever, ever mistake something small, like a small word or action of encouragement, for something insignificant. Because you may never know the difference you can make or the life that you can change just by being intentional. I'd like to leave you with a verse from Psalm 19. And it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you so much. I feel like a celebrity. Oh. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Britton Sparks. Um, I'm married to Ben Sparks, so it's most of you probably know because he's very loud and he likes to talk. And we have a beautiful white lab, Bailey. No kids yet. But I normally serve on Sundays. Sometimes I do announcements. Other times I'm in the check-in for kids. And on Wednesdays I hang out with the youth because apparently I don't ever want to grow up. So... I want to do all those fun things that they do too. And today, I'm going to talk about something that God's been working on my heart for a long time and continues to work in my life because, you know, I'm pretty stubborn and I just don't really get it the first time, most of the time. So, someone once told me that the two most honest things in life are kids and leggings. <laughs> I'm not really sure where they got that from, but I've learned that it's very, very accurate because now... I am a special ed teacher, and they are very, very honest, very honest. Like, every day I come into work, I think I've done a pretty good job with myself. You know, I got up early. I made it there on time. But, see, they think that they need to point out all my imperfections. So they're like, Miss Sparks, did you wake up late today? Did you forget to put on makeup? No, Miss Sparks, the books go over here, not over there. Sometimes I get the occasional, you look good, Miss Sparks, and I'm like, when but then like three seconds later they're like um you got dog hair on your pants so <laughs> they're super honest but it's okay you know they're keeping me in check keeping me accountable but you know I get that kind of stuff all day long which is okay which brings me to scripture Ephesians 2:10, and that says for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do some of those versions say we are his masterpiece. Some say we are his handiwork. And throughout my entire life, I've struggled with this idea of perfectionism. I know, shocking, because I'm so perfect. <laughs> I know, thank you, thank you. I've always wanted to make everyone proud, having the perfect grades, doing the perfect amount of activities or extracurriculars, having the perfect dance moves at any given time perfect one-liners, you know, those types of things. But as I learned this scripture, I focused on the word masterpiece. And in my mind, a masterpiece was perfect. And I thought that if I was a masterpiece, which God totally said that I was, that I'm perfect. So now I have to live up to this expectation that I am perfect all the time. So I began comparing everyone's highlight reel to my bloopers, which happened probably more often than not. And I constantly felt frustrated and felt like my joy was leaving and that I was feeling defeated. So in college, I went to the university. Woo-woo. I joined a Greek club, and their Bible verse was 
Ephesians 2.10. Funny, God, haha. Um, and it says, for you are God's workmanship. And I was like, I know this. <laughs> I already know. So I've got this down, had no problem with that. And so as I unpacked that verse, I realized that I was really wrong. Oh, man, I'm never wrong. But as a masterpiece, it's not perfect, nor does it just happen overnight. And it is full of progress every day. It's a work in progress. So I shouldn't compare myself to anybody but the person that I was yesterday. Because today, I'm a better version of myself. That's right. Amen. I like it. Yes. <laughs> so don't let the enemy tell you that you have to be perfect. Because that's just unrealistic, y'all. I'm just going to tell you. And it's hard. So listen to God, who God says you are. And my word is chosen. He has chosen me for the good works that he has prepared in advance for me to do. So he has made me this particular masterpiece for this particular work that he's already planned out for me. And there's a difference between perfection and excellence. Being perfect is no mistakes, no imperfections. Excellence is being or doing your best in all that you do, even with the mistakes and imperfections. So remember that you are chosen to be God's masterpiece. And whatever that looks like, he chose you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Caleb Osborne, 16 years old, <laughs> and I lead worship for Wednesday nights at youth group, and I'm going to be talking about what it means to love like Jesus, and if there's one thing that the gospel has taught me, it's that to love like Jesus is to see the world as Jesus does, and to love God's creation just like he does. Jesus doesn't show prejudice. He doesn't care what race, what gender or even what a person has done in their past. Before Jesus died on the cross, he knew of our sinful nature and how undeserving his people were, yet he chose to humble himself on the cross for us. So who are we to judge others for their sin and speak death over them? Because when we speak hatefully of others, we ourselves are sinning. And here's a quote from James 3.10. It says, But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongues to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should never be. A shortened version of what James is talking about in his statues is that you can't claim to know Jesus but still hate your brother and sister. Sure. You may disagree with people at times, but instead of responding and with frustration and insults, respond like Jesus would. One thing that just really inspires me from the gospel is that even as Jesus was on the cross, he was being cursed and mocked, but instead of responding in a devilish way, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So when people are hurling insults at you left and right and verbally insulting you, take their mean nature as a perfect opportunity to spread the gospel. As Christians, we should never keep our love for Jesus bottled up. Before Jesus left this earth, he commanded us to go out and make disciples of all nations. But oftentimes, we are too afraid to do this because we are afraid of what people will think of us or what they might say. 
and the enemy has put this counterfeit fear of man in your heart, and now we believe that we doubt the ho- we doubt the power of the Holy Spirit to the point where we think the only way to convert non-believers is by our own skill or our own self-righteousness. But when you fear God above all else, all self-doubt goes away. When you press into the Holy Spirit, you find strength like never before. You are in God's favor, and he wants you to succeed. When you are doing God's will, it is literally impossible to fail. And that's why you must surrender to Jesus completely. Jesus wants his love to shine through you. And as I said before, Jesus loves everybody on the face of this earth. But we can all think of that one person who just pushes your buttons every time you're around them. However, Jesus loves that person just as much as he loves you. And if Jesus loves that person, why shouldn't you? When, Jesus, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God gifted us with the power of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a friend, but it's also a weapon that can be used against the enemy when he is testing us. And in James 1.3 it says, For you know that when your faith is tested, it creates, it's, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. So even when it's hard not to get angry at people, the Holy Spirit gives us the authority to love them. Therefore, we must never retaliate in anger when a person is being rude to us. One thing that I've struggled with in the past is judging other Christians for their hypocrisy. But it took me the longest time to realize that by judging those people and looking down on them and considering myself their superior, I was going against God's will for my life and going against Jesus. God's mission for our lives and for everyone's lives is to love like he does, no matter what, unconditionally. And I want to share one last quote from James 1.19 before I leave the stage. It says, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and be slow to become angry for the human nature. For human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteousness. Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Anna McCook. Uh, my family and I have been serving here at Canton Church for about three years now, and including my son, uh, nine-year-old son. Uh, we serve in kids' ministry. This is intimidating. <laughs> when I get nervous, my accent gets really strong, and, but I was like, you know, it's okay. I'm in the middle of a lot of folks from the Church of God. They're going to think that I'm speaking tongues, and I'll be just fine. <laughs> well... I was born and raised in Brazil. My family is an amazing family that surrounded me with a lot of love and support. However, due to the way that my parents were raised, they decided to raise my siblings and I uh, with a little bit more freedom of religion. We are still raised Christians, but we were introduced to different religions with the understanding that all the way, uh, ways would lead to God. That created in me and in my heart a lot of confusion, skepticism, and fear. Fear of the unknown. Even panic when talking about death or what would happen after it. Well, when I moved here, I met Chad, and I saw something in him that intrigued me a lot. Uh, I used to look at him and think that God was way closer to him than to me. 
And that made me even more confused because according to my books of records, I was the one that did everything right. I followed the rules. I was the good daughter, good girl, now excellent wife. And him was this rebel guy, very attractive. But he had decided to live his life on a tight rope. Okay, and even though with all his decisions and choice that he made, I felt God right there, really close to him. And then I questioned myself, what I was doing wrong? What have I done wrong? That's when I realized that me, in all my confusion, have not yet developed a straight in relationship with God. I did not know how to engage to him. I was not taking advantage of that relationship that he had made available to me. I thought that I had to jump through hoops and even though kind of perform some, I don't know, some rituals and then I would be close to him. I thought that in, by being good, it's all that I needed to be there with him. But we all know that salvation is not received by works. As stated in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Now it's going to be hard with the accent. I'm going to read. <laughs> For it's by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That doesn't mean we should not work towards doing what's right. But without faith... And the grace received from him and the straight relationship with him, we cannot be saved. I learned how to hear him. I learned how to talk to him. And I learned that if I was obedient to the Holy Spirit, everything would be just fine. And every time I turn away from that voice inside of my mind and inside of my head, things would go bad. My heart desire is that everyone I know would have the same. However, a lot of them are skeptical and doubtful about God and Christianity. And this makes me very sad and frustrated because I know he's the only way to eternal life. How can I change this? How can you change the life of those you know? I believe that is by strengthening your relationship with Christ. In a way, when people look at you, the same way I look at Chad, they will want what you have because they can see that it works. Sorry. <laughs> um, I believe that a lot of times when uh, we pray to God, we ask for things, but we keep Him at certain distance. And he's right there wanting that relationship with us, wanting an intimacy with us. Oh, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> and if a person like me that was brought up with so many questions and even is skeptical, was able to realize that he's my best friend and my first choice of counselor, Anyone in here can do the same. And in by doing this, we can change the life of unbelievers. Because of the end of the day, we all need to be saved. My prayer for you is that you'll be able to focus in drawing him closer and closer to him every day. Because nowadays, he's the first one that I talk when I get up. And the last one I talk when I go to bed. And it feels so good knowing that 
regardless of what I'm going through or I will go through, he's right there, closer than an arm's reach. I'd like to finish with a prayer. I'd like for all of us to bow our heads and pray the Lord's Prayer. That is also my prayer of strengthening in all times of need. Everybody? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us that as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. I am uh, David Heinemann. I am uh, Trevor's dad. He told me when I came up here, he said, Dad, now be nice. I get that microphone a lot more than you do, so uh, I'm going to be. Uh, my family's so encouraging. Lauren and Corey, they were great. Corey just smiled at me. Lauren said, Dave, I'm praying for you. Christy said, Dad, are you talking about me? And Helene said, well, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I am. I've done it a bunch. And she said, well, don't go down a rat hole. So with that encouragement... I am, I am so ready to get started this morning. So, uh, you know, we all have families. We all have people that influence us and people that we care about. And everybody, you know, looks at us and we're looking at people. But I wanted to talk for a little bit this morning about uh, Naomi and Ruth. It's a story about uh, two people from Israel and, uh, and their story. Naomi was uh, married, had two sons. And there was a famine that came out in Israel, and so they had to leave and move to Moab for food and take care of everything. And so things went great. The boys got uh, married while they were there, and uh, they just, uh, things went great. So 10 years go by, all of a sudden, Naomi's husband dies, and then both of her sons die. So now all of a sudden, from being an awesome family living in a foreign land, She's a widow with two daughter-in-laws living in a foreign land and nothing, no way of supporting them. And so they just, uh, she says, okay, girls, we're going to pack up and we're going to go home. This is, uh, I can't have no way of supporting you here and I've got family back there. And so they pack up and so as they're getting ready to leave, Naomi kind of drops the bomb on them. She says, you girls need to just go back to your families. She said, I have no more sons. I have no way of... Uh, taking care of you. I can't do anything for you. And so they cried and they didn't want to go. And so finally, Orpha, the other daughter-in-law, she says, okay, I'm, I'm going to go home. Naomi says, and I want to read this one passage in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. She says, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God, and where you die, I'll die. Now, I've got to be really honest. To be in that situation, Naomi really had to have had an influence on Naomi or Ruth for, to that. And so I've had a few people in my life that have impacted me like that, and I wanted to talk for them about them for a little bit. One was my dad. He, a uh, huge Alabama fan, 
so he, uh, I don't know, Tua, 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 how's that? So, uh, huge Alabama fan, but he loved to laugh and have fun and cut up and loved my mom, took care of her, worked hard, was a great dad to me and my brother. And, and so from him, I got to learn what being a really good dad and husband was about. And so I've, I've tried to do that with my family. And secondly, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially in this church, we've got a few rather large families. And so, but I had one brother. And so when I started the school, I was always Dave or little Dave or big Dave or David or whatever. But when I started the school, all of a sudden I was little Wally. That was his, that was his name. And, um, and I, I wore that tag like a badge of honor. And it was so cool because his friends would always want me to hang out with them. And so we would just kind of do stuff together. And teachers even called me Little Wally. And so what that showed me is what kind of a friend I wanted to be and what kind of a student I wanted to be because the, the teachers loved him, his friends loved him. And so it was just, it was really kind of cool. So I said, I, I kind of want to be like that guy. And he's, he's still that way and still has that impact on me. The third was my pawpaw. And uh, I had two people that mom and daddy worked all the time. And so I'd either hang out with Papa or I'd hang out with my Uncle Chick. And uh, we would do stuff and they would let me go with them. I'd, I'd go to the cattle sale with Papa all the time. And he would, he could look at a cow and say 897 pounds. And boy, when that thing trotted across the scales, it was going to be within a pound or two of that. And it was so funny because he was a little, little guy. I don't know if you guys know Koi. That comes here a lot, but he was a little guy like that, and he would go up, and he would, I guess you can get away with that when you get old enough. He'd squeeze her arm, and he'd say, okay, honey, I can guess you wait. And I know how girls love that, but he would, he would say, 147 pounds, and, and they would just turn blood red. They're mad a little bit, but they're putting up with it because he's this little old cute man, but they would weigh about 145, 149 pounds, so he was right there. So... I guess what I want to leave with is Papa was such a, an influence on me because I'd hang out at the barn and I'd, I'd, I'd stay in there and he would, he would come out there and take care of the cows and I'd hear him singing and he would be praying and he would pray for everybody in the family. And um, it always showed me, you know, that's the kind of godly man I want to be. And it was, it was so really cool. And uh, then he would... Let the cat out of the bag. He knew I was really there. He'd say, okay, Dave, let's go to the house and get something to eat. Mama's cooking. And so we'd head back. And so what I wanted to kind of leave you guys with today is whether you had an awesome family like I, I got to grow up in and, and, and spend time with people or whether your family was not so much, you know, you have an opportunity in this family here today to find somebody that, you know, can pour into you, can be that crossly example, can be that friend, can be that that father to you and you also have the opportunity if you're an adult like me of being that person your youth can latch on to that older brother older sister and and be that and see them and what I want us to do or I want you to do is we just try to be the best person that we can be thank you All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Canton Church. How we doing? All right, based on that reaction, I will make this quick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, good morning. My name is Daniel. Uh, normally up here leading worship in some capacity. 
Um, and you know what? Because of that, can we just give this worship team a hand today? Um, that was some really great worship. I don't know if, uh, if you guys realize this, but we have an absolutely amazing worship team here, not just based on their talents, because they are talented in their own rights, of course, but y'all have a group of people that get up here every single Sunday and just let God lead them um, from the heart. And that's something really special that's kind of hard to find sometimes nowadays. So uh, I just wanted guys to give them a shout out real quick. Um, but being part of the worship team, this kind of gives me a cool platform to get up here and talk to you about stuff because we're normally just singing or playing an instrument in some capacity. Um, so it's really cool that I got this opportunity to get up here and talk to you all today. Um, so I'll just spend hopefully just a few minutes with you, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but I will preface <laughs> these few minutes I do have with you is letting you know that uh, I was raised by a deep south, old-fashioned, Pentecostal Church of God pastor. So if that side of me comes out, just roll with it. And you can just shout back at me because I'm going to shout at you. I don't want you to be afraid of me, okay? We're all in this together. But um, I just wanted to get you a story out of the, the book of Mark. It's Mark uh, chapter 12, starting in verse uh, 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, I'm not up here to talk to you about offering. Like I said, I'm up here to talk to you about worship. And Jesus is not just alluding to giving, tithing, and whatnot in this passage here. He's alluding to so many things. But I really want to focus on what this means for worship today. Sometimes, and listen, if you feel like I'm speaking to you, I might be, but I'm definitely speaking to myself because I'm the most guilty anytime I say anything that sounds convicting. But sometimes we come in here on Sunday mornings and we feel like the rich people that are giving out of their wealth, right? We had an absolutely phenomenal week, whether we got the promotion at our job or we got a raise, uh, whether our kids finally got along for like one week, you didn't have to ground anybody or take their Xbox away or, you know, your marriage is starting to take a turn for the better, whatever it may be. But you come in here on a Sunday morning and you are just excited and you are pumped up and you're just like, thank you, Jesus, praise you, God, you bless me and everything is great. And even though the worship team doesn't sound good today, I'm going to praise you through it, you know, and like that's the weeks that we feel like the rich people, right? And then there's weeks that we come in here and we're more like the poor widow, Maybe we didn't get the promotion at our job. Maybe we lost our job. Maybe our kids are starting to act up, even though you know you raised them, right? But they're still acting out or getting in trouble. Their grades are not good. Or maybe your marriage isn't looking so great and not taking a turn for the better. But we come in here, and, and, and we're kind of dragging our feet, and we're like, all right, God, you know, here I am. I showed up. I don't know what else you want me to do for you. And, uh, and like I said, listen, I'm speaking to myself more than I'm speaking to anybody else here because one week ago, uh, was pretty much six-year anniversary from the first time that I came to Canton Church, back when it was Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. It's a lot to say, but uh, six years since I first came. And now, the only reason I came here is I was, I was dating a girl at the time, and she said, you know, uh, I want to go to church. And I was like, well, like, I'm not going to argue with you because I'm going to lose anyways. Um, so I came in here. I had kind of just recently left the church. Um, you know, what people describe is, you know, I kind of went through some church hurt. 
um, just a bad experience, and, and I kind of blamed God for a lot of things. My parents' divorce, uh, some things that I had failed at in life and whatnot. But I was just like, you know what? I'm not even interested in God right now. Like, I just want to go do my own thing. And so I was just living a life just full of sin, just to be quite honest with you. I'm a transparent person, so don't feel awkward if I just get really honest with you guys today. But, I mean, I was just living a life full of sin. Um, and I came into the church with little to offer God that day, right? I, I felt like the poor widow who had little praise to give because I didn't think I had anything to praise him for. But looking at where I am now, that I get to stand up here or, you know, play an instrument almost every Sunday and, and help out with the youth on Wednesday nights, I can see that the little bit of praise that I gave God that day, because that was the day that I rededicated my life to God. That was the day that I felt God pulling at my heart and saying, listen, I need you to come back, and I need you to come back now. And even though I wanted to fight that, even though I didn't want to give him praise for everything he has done for me, that was the day that I rededicated my life to God, and I decided to step back into the light and follow him again. Now, just to kind of wrap this all up, like any good uh, Church of God pastor, I'll tell you that I'm wrapping up, but I do have five more points. Um, <laughs> but no, just to, uh, I do have one last little uh, story to kind of wrap up with you, but you know, God understands that we struggle. God understands that we face adversity, and, and God understands that, you know, that we have pain and suffering that we have to go through because he lived here on this earth as Jesus, right? Jesus walked this earth as we did and lived a great life and, and did many great things, but Jesus started to have a rough week. <laughs> Judas betrays him. He's put on trial and sentenced to death for nothing, basically, He's, not to get gruesome, he's beaten with a whip, right? He, he, he's lashed, and he is stabbed in his sides, had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's made to carry his own cross. He gets up there, and he's nailed to that cross. There's hands and his feet. He's spat on. He's mocked. I mean, like, Jesus was having a rough week, if you get what I'm saying here. Just like we have our rough weeks now, hopefully we never have to experience what he did. But, but Jesus was having a rough week, but... With the last little bit of life that Jesus had in him, he said, it is finished. Now, I don't know if you know what that did for us, but see, there used to be, Pastor Jeremy kind of spoke about this a couple weeks ago, but there used to kind of be this barrier between us and God. We really couldn't step into the presence of God, but now, whenever Jesus, with the last little bite, little, sorry, little bite, little bit of life that he had left in him, said, it is finished, he now took that barrier and removed it. The veil in the temple was torn, the sky broke open, the ground began to shake, and now we can stand in the presence of God and give him the praise and give him the worship for everything that he has done for us, for all the blessings that he continues to give us. So if Jesus could take the last little bit of human life that he had left and save our souls, do you think we could take the last little bit of praise that we have on Sunday mornings and give it all to him for all that he has done for us and all that he's going to do for us? I thank y'all so much for your time this morning. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.